This is episode number 105. How will it all play out with Jiggy Yoon? Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to give a brief shout out to our review of the week, which comes from Daniela Galdi. Listening to Oleg and those sharing their stories through the Overcoming Odds podcast offers me such valuable perspective to keep moving forward past my own personal struggles, especially with mental health and the limitations that I feel. Hearing people's process and being able to implement their words of wisdom and positive inner dialogue is such an inspiration in continuing in my journey to start a dialogue to connect with others who are facing similar experiences. I was really blown away when I first listened and look forward to new episodes and guests. Very powerful stuff that's making an impact and helping to break the silence for many who feel isolated or alone in their journey. Thank you so much, Daniela, for the kind review. If you want to be featured on our review of the week, go ahead and leave us one on iTunes, Facebook, or Google. It is that easy to do so. Now, let's get back to our guest. Welcome back to another episode of The Overcoming Odds Podcast. Today's guest is someone that I was introduced to through a mutual friend of ours, Brian Kelly. He's actually introduced many, many people onto the show. Um, Her name is Jiggy. And I wanted to be able to have this conversation with you to really dive into this whole concept of how um, curiosity plays a big role within our past and our present and and how it actually allows us to kind of pave a wave, pave a way towards becoming who it is that we envision and becoming. Um, But before we dive into that particular question, I want to be able to paint a picture of who you are to some of our listeners who may not be familiar with your story, and that is ask you the question of who are you? I'm Jiggy, and since all of you are listening and not being able, not able to look at me, I'll just paint you a picture of what I look like. I'm basically um, Asian. I was born in South Korea, but 10 years old, I came to the United States where I found that I was gay, mm-hmm. so paint a lesbian Asian there. Um, I have tattoos all over me with all, all different kinds of stories with it, piercings. But at the same time, I'm a huge believer of compassion, um, just a big athlete as well. And at the same time, I'm defying odds with type 1 diabetes, mm. which uh, I like to educate people on the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, and who I am today right now in this moment is just somebody with a lot of questions who's seeking answers, which is a life's journey within itself. I'm a performance coach, a mindset coach, and a speaker. Um, I just moved to LA. Mm-hmm. I'm from the East Coast. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to adjust to the California life. That's awesome. You know, there's so many things that uh, come to mind as kind of as you were sharing this particular background. Uh, one of the things I remember for me is 
the more I became connected to who I was and the story that I wanted to ultimately live, I've also noticed that my circle and my environment changed uh, drastically. And that is the pe- some of the people that I thought were in there as far as supporters and friends and all the other roles um, just weren't there all of a sudden. Did you notice a similar thing for you when you kind of, you know, started to develop your own individual identity that people that were there for you were all of a sudden disappearing? And if so, like, how did you, how did you do, how did you deal with that? How did you embrace those particular moments? Um, so I think that for me, it wasn't more so developing my identity versus coming in terms with my identity and mm-hmm. with my authenticity. Because the easiest example would be when I was growing up in Korea. There's no such term as gay over there. So when I was growing up, I actually knew that I was gay a long time ago when I was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because there was no term and there was no there was no Ellen DeGeneres in Korea to show me the way, um, I thought maybe I was a little different. Maybe something was a little off about me because I already had a different kind of connection towards my female friends um so when I came to America once I discovered this word gay lesbian bisexual that automatically just became my identity like in that that is something that I connect with um and just becoming more comfortable with that because I came out during the time when you know homophobia was still a big deal Ellen DeGeneres Mm -hmm. was she was still struggling with getting gigs you know and she was still getting discriminated against like I came out during that era Mm. not like today um so just once I sort of accepted myself as who I am I think it made everything else a lot easier for me to accept um and who I wanted to become whether it's it means that I'm a very unconventional Asian where I have piercings and tattoos or I'm actually a huge Christ follower I'm Christian while I'm gay Mm -hmm. um but I think the root of it all and accepting that I'm gay sort of created a platform for me. Mm. Tell me a little bit more about the time, your time in Korea, because I, I haven't had a chance to visit there yet. And so when you mentioned kind of, you know, being brought up in that environment and not having certain labels or categories to describe the human experience, how, what was that like? Like, was it, was it, was everyone viewed on the same uh, playing field as far as we're all just human beings or were there still like differentiations being made amongst diff- certain groups and certain people within that culture? I think that South Korea in particular, um, I can't speak for North Korea, but South Korea, um, it's still a developing country in the aspects of humanity and um, social development. So for example, gay is still a new thing there because we're so, I don't want to say caught up on, but they just, we just take a lot of pride in tradition and Mm -hmm. cultural beliefs. And therefore there are certain standards and I'll be the agent to say that everything you see on Milan is true. Like you do have to bring honor to your family. My dad still thinks that I'm going to marry a nice Korean man. I, you do have to get A pluses all around. Um, and it's not really in that every person is approached as a human being because I think that a lot of empathy and compassion is actually lacking in Korea, mm. especially 
I was growing up. There is zero emotional intelligence there. Like when people say that all Asians do is study, like it's really true. Um, I used to get yelled at for basically crying or being stressed because I was overwhelmed by schoolwork mm-hmm. and that I was told to just focus on the schoolwork. And that just is the bare minimum expectation for all Asians. Like excellence is always the standard. Um, so I don't really think that each human is acknowledged as a human being more so than just, I hate to say this, but more so just like another number. Mm. Are there opportunities or anything that you've experienced within your life where you were able to work on the emotional side of who you are? And, and if so, like, what, what were they? Or, were, or did those not come until you came here to the States? It didn't come to me until I came to the States. And not even just when I came to the States, because I came here with my mom. But be, so with my mom being there, I still had to uphold the traditional Asian standards. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't until she passed away that I started to, I was basically forced to have to explore emotional intelligence and self-awareness. It's very interesting because, you know, I've always wondered people from different cultures, myself included, those that weren't born in this particular country, there's so many uh, different, not differences, but just, I mean, it really is kind of a different way of living. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've always been curious as far as like, how do different cultures work? And as part of it, like, what are the things that end up carrying over from that particular culture into this one? And what are the elements that you have to work on individually to be able to kind of step into this complete version of who you are and be able to live that life? Mm-hmm. The The theme of today's episode that I wanted to talk to you about was, or it revolves around this concept of curiosity of how your past and present have equipped you for your future. Mm-hmm. And the question that you posed, or the two questions, were where will all this lead to and how will it all play out? By the way, those are million-dollar questions, so if, if anyone has the answer... Who which, is the <laughs> it, it's, No, but I've always wondered the same thing, and I think as part of it, it's only natural to wonder those, especially when you come into situations where you have to make rather difficult decisions. And you don't always know the outcome. So as part of that journey, you really have to, or at least in my case, I really have to believe in myself and that the decision that I'm making will lead towards the larger outcome or larger picture that I'm envisioning. So I'm curious to know for you, when did those two questions really begin to play a role in your life? Like when did you really start to question yourself from that particular perspective? I think those questions started to arise in my head to have some sort of hope to get through my current situation when I was um, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been through a lot throughout my life, but the age of 17 was for some reason such a pivotal moment for me in my life. And in that, that was the age where everything started happening back to back to back. Like that's what what I would what I would consider where my story truly began and it all started when I lost my home to a fire my um, apartment building in Queens New York and from there I was already dealing with depression and uh, suicidal thoughts all of my life and so for me to lose a home and everything I loved and owned within one hour after my mom had already survived a heart attack 
um, only two weeks after the apartment building caught fire. And from there, we had to live in shelters and random days in motels and live at some studio apartment in the ghetto of Brooklyn. All these things were happening. And I was just kind of like, for me to have some sort of hope to not go crazy, I Mm -hmm. started I started thinking like this has to be happening for a reason. This has to be happening for a reason. And that started the question, well, what is the bigger reason then? Do you think as part of that or in finding that answer, it boils down to you defining whatever the reason may be and believing fully in that? I think that I have an idea of what that bigger reason will be in the future. Um, which, which is what people usually call purpose or calling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm fine because I'm finding myself still asking that question. Uh-huh. Um, because I'm 27 now, it's 10 years since I first started asking that question. So now that I'm still asking that question, and sure, a lot of things have happened since, and I've accomplished a lot of things since, but it doesn't quite hit this big reason why. I always envisioned in my head. Um, so now I'm really questioning, like, what is all of this for? Mm. And what? And are, I think what I have are, an idea of why. Mm-hmm. I think I have an idea of why in my mind. Um, but I can't tell if it's. I mean, there's no difference. But I can't tell if it's a vision that God planted in my head, or if it's just the desire that I created on my own, which usually cor- correlates together. Um, but at this point, now that it's 10 years later and I'm still asking the same question, I'm kind of like, how is this ever going to happen? So that's a really uh, complex thought to begin with. So how do right. you, how do you differentiate between the two? Like, how do you differentiate between the fact, whether it's a vision that was planted within you, or if it's something that developed out of your own desire to create the change that you envision within that particular space i don't think that there's a difference at the end of the day um in one perspective it can be if it's a god's calling and it it's something that he planted in my head then it can be that no matter what happens in my life the destination is that is that calling mm-hmm. and then for me to say it's my own desire means that i have to put my own action to it behind the desire but at the end of the day i do believe that they correlate and work together and that God usually wants for me what I would want for myself. Mm-hmm. What I want for myself is whatever God wants for me. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how I look at it. Um, but per me putting in the action to get to that place, I'm wondering what it is that has to happen or what I need to be doing to get to that place. Mm-hmm. What I, I'm curious to know about the the event that you mentioned, the the fire in specific. What what ended up happening? How do you remember anything? What kind of led to it? And and obviously, you know, feel free to discuss as, as much as you wish, um, as far as the different components that you have healed from it. But like, what how, what ended up leading to that event, and and how were you able to reframe a traumatic experience like that moving forward i know that i still um experience the pain from it Mm -hmm. 
like I said, I haven't had emotional intelligence, so I I wasn't sure how to cope with a lot of things. So it was when I was 17 years old, it was the summer after I graduated from high school. So this is the summer after high school, right before college. Mm -hmm. And I was about to go away for college. So I went to high school in New York, but I was going to Penn State for college. Um, So, you know, going away for college means that it's my last summer with my friends and it meant a lot to me. And one day, um, well, I mentioned that my mother had survived a heart attack just before this fire happened. Mm-hmm. And when I was a senior in high school, my mother left for like two or three months because she was a nurse and got a job down south. And while I heard from from stories from my brother, what I hear is that my brother asked my mom was moving into her new place. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got a heart attack while she was moving in. And she had to have an emergency surgery and everything. But I didn't know I didn't know this until after she passed away. Like no one told me because I'm the baby of the family. Mm-hmm. Um so when she came back to New York, you know, I I figured while I was living alone for a while, I know how to take care of myself now. So it's my turn to take care of my mom and this and that. And then two weeks later I was taking a nap one day and my mom comes into the room and she says that we have to evacuate the building. Um, there are firefighters outside telling us that we have to leave. And, you know, when you hear stuff like that on a random day when you're taking a nap, you don't think much of it. <laughs> I thought it was going to be all okay. Like, I thought, okay, so they're just going to take care of this and I'll get to come back and just move on with my life. Um, so we left for an hour. And then when we came back, we saw a huge crowd outside of the building. And so I went up to one of the firefighters and I was asking what was going on. And he told me that we're not going to be able to um, come back for a while. So I said, okay, so like how many hours are we talking? Mm-hmm. He was like, no, like you can't come back here for a few months. And I was like, why? What happened? Because the building itself was fine on the outside. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that the building hired somebody to fix something on the roof of the building. Mm. I guess he lit a cigarette where he wasn't supposed to light a cigarette and he just the entire roof of the building caught fire and it was a five alarm fire which means that it took five fire trucks to take out the fire and so all it's not the fire that ruined everything it's all the water that came from the roof of the building Mm. to the first floor and it just ruined everything and I, I lived on like the fourth or fifth bill, uh, floor of the seven um, seven floor building so when we got into our apartment everything was basically brown and mm-hmm. moldy it was moldy already all the walls were brown everything I owned was drenched like everything inside that house, house was ruined um and basically, we just had to leave. We couldn't stay there. We could only grab a few things that still survived. And the only thing that survived was my laptop. Um, my white graduation gown turned brown. Um, and from that night, we had to live in a shelter for about a month. And then we had to live in a Days Inn motel for about another month. And then they relocated us to the studio apartment in Brooklyn for a month and then I had to go away for college and the only lighthearted joke that I can make out of it is that the fire helped me pack for college mm. to to move away 
so that I could pack light. But um, yeah, even when I even when I did go away for college, I still had to deal with the emotional baggage that that basically caused in my heart. Um, just never felt like I got a break from that. Mm-hmm. But then I need to find out that that was only the start of continuous spiral for the next few years of a lot of pain and loss. Mm-hmm. What have you learned about yourself from that particular event? I don't connect myself to materialistic things anymore. Um, from that experience, what I truly long for is to feel at home because I haven't had a permanent address basically since then. I haven't had a home since then. I started living in strangers' apart- uh, strangers' basements with no windows and started having to shop at like dollar store for grocery shopping mm-hmm. um, especially after my mom passed away and then I didn't have a home to go to and each dorm room became my home and ever since then I've been moving every single year since and while all of my friends want to just you know travel around the world or move to New York City and get a apartment in the city and all this I'm like I've already done all that and what I long for is family and a sense of home Mm. and truly I haven't felt that since just recently when I moved into this house in LA Mm what what does what does home mean for you what what does family like how how has it you know you mentioned the fact how you feel you feel those two things to be true for you now Mm -hmm. how do you define the two You know, there's that saying where people are like, home is where your heart is, mm-hmm. something like that. And I'm sorry, but I think that's like complete BS because um, I think, well, not BS, but I think that home means differently to a lot of people. And to me, I've learned that it's not even about family um, because I don't know what it's like to be in a home filled with family because my family has been separated since I was 10 years old. Um for me, I think it's just a sense of belonging. And that feeling is whether it's a matter of who I share this space with, whether I have roommates or not, whether it's a place for myself, it's just a space for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to describe it, but it's just like a sense of belonging and rest that I can feel. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, home has a lot to do with family. Like wherever your family is, people feel at home. But for me, I don't have family around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Just that sense of belonging. Just the sense of feeling like I fit here and I'm meant to be here. Mm. The reason why I asked that is because for the longest time after I came to this country, I struggled with the concept of belonging. As far as I really wasn't, not I wasn't able to, but I had a hard time defining the places that I truly belonged at. And so coming here from a foreign country and also not being able to speak the language at 12, it was challenging because there were fundamental things in the years prior that had changed for me. One of them is this element of trust. You know, there were, there were truly no people or very few people my first 12 years that I could trust. And so when I came here, 
it was a very it was a culture shock because people were very friendly, and they were showing these signs that I could trust them, but yet I was still living in the other world where trust was not there. So it was it was a challenge to be able to find a place where I belong and and I like the way you put it. It's it's where you fit in. And I think even you know despite of all the transitions that we've had to make in our lives that we can still find it. We can mm-hmm. still find it somewhere. And that's why I was asking what what does belonging mean to you so that those who are listening might be able to identify within their own experiences that the places or the people that they're with, they may belong to some of those things if they can understand what belonging means to them in on an individual level. Yeah. Something that I've recently noticed, um, because you talked about coming to this country, mm-hmm. and because I've had to move every single year of my life since I've been in this country, I just felt... I. It's so silly, but ever since the fire, like I said, like I'm not connected to materialistic things. So when I get a home, like I don't look to get a couch or a coffee table or a TV. I don't, I haven't owned a TV in a long time. Mm-hmm. I don't really knew what the big deal about coffee tables or even dining <laughs> were. Like, I don't care about those things. I don't care about a coffee table. I don't care about a dining table. Like, I'm fine eating food on the floor. Like, mm-hmm. truly, I am. Uh, maybe all I might want is a bed, but not really a couch. Mm-hmm. And I think that also has to do with the fact that, like, since the fire, it left this PTSD where it's kind of like, well, what's the matter? If my place burns down in an hour, then I'm that's just more stuff that I'm not going to have anyway. So why would I want to equip myself with those things again mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I might lose those things again? Um but then I recently realized that that actually does have an effect on how much I feel at home because it wasn't until that we moved into this home and my girlfriend kept saying, like, let's get this and let's get that. Let's get a couch and let's get a sectional. Let's get a stand for the TV. Let's get a coffee table. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, you know what you can do with all that money? We could just travel or get food or something, mm-hmm. something a little more practical than just nice and luxurious. Mm-hmm. But now that the house is filled with the couch and a coffee table. And I have a Christmas tree for the first time ever. And um, we just hosted Thanksgiving and I've never had any of that. And I'm like, Oh my God, these things do matter. And Mm -hmm. that I just carried a lot of pain with me to disassociate myself with these things that I so call materialistic things when these can also help me feel more at home. Mm-hmm. And I think because I was moving every single year of my life, I just felt like I was constantly getting away and moving and not ever not ever feeling at rest. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm here with all these things, I'm kind of like, it's kind of like, ah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's what it feels like. What's the most meaningful thing at your home right now? nothing other than my girlfriend <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I still can't do it I still can't say that some something mm-hmm. is the most meaningful thing to me I, I, I can't do it I mean maybe this house in general the fact that we have a house mm-hmm. I've never had a house I've never had a front yard I've never had a backyard I've never had a garage 
there's this guava tree in the front of the house that I really love. And I'm convinced that this guava tree is actually God. Um, I'm pretty obsessed with the guava tree. <laughs> maybe that maybe that's something that I really treasure. Um, but there's not there's not like a item here that I will say that means most to me. Mm. I just can't do it. I can't because if I lose it, then mm-hmm. I'm going to just be heartbroken again. Mm-hmm. Final thought for today's episode, and this is a question that I ask all of our guests that come onto the show, and that is who or what are you grateful for today? I think, I can't even believe I'm saying this right now. I'm so mad at you. (laughs) Um, that's crazy because like, you know, Thanksgiving just passed and like, yeah, I could have reflected on what I'm grateful for. And yeah, I could have been thankful that this home was filled with, you know, holiday spirits and friends and family. But I can't believe I'm saying this because for the longest time I thought right now where I'm at in life mm-hmm. was so difficult. But for some reason, when you asked it just now, I'm kind of like, what I'm grateful for is where I, where I'm at in life right now. Mm-hmm. And that's an idea that I've been so against and so, like, so pushing. Mm-hmm. For some reason, when you ask, I'm like, no, I'm actually really grateful for where, where I'm at in life right now. Mm-hmm. Why did you push that away? Because, um, so... I've experienced a lot of loss, not just my house and not just my mom, but a lot of other things. Like I've experienced loss so much back to back to back to back throughout Mm -hmm. my life that I'm tired of struggle. And that's like really weird to say. And I don't know if anybody can understand what I mean, but Mm -hmm. I'm so tired. Like I'm just so exhausted from keep pushing and and keep pushing. Yeah. And just like seeing, um, it's hard for me to see fruit out of things because whether it's the Asian excellence mindset or whether it's just me losing things throughout my life and losing people throughout my life, I just work and work and work and working hard is not the problem here. It's just that it's hard for me to acknowledge success or acknowledge a fruit that's mm-hmm. been produced out of my own labor um, because I'm kind of like, well, that's supposed to happen. So what's next? Mm. Um, But so when I keep pushing this idea of being grateful for where I am at right now, it's because I'm not where I want to be. Mm -hmm. It's not, I also just had my birthday and it's also not where I expect it to be. And, you know, people have this idea of when they turn a certain age, like a lot of people have this idea of when they turn 30, they would have accomplished all these things. And if they didn't, then they get that 30 depression Mm -hmm. thing through well Mm -hmm. i turned 27 and i had such an expect expectation of 27 and i'm not even close and so i was kind of like at this point where i was mad at myself mad at my life mad at god like why am i still feeling like i'm losing Mm -hmm. that's because i'm not where i thought i would be or would have liked to be um so I pushed the idea of gratitude because I was kind of like, what, what is there to be truly, honestly grateful for? Mm-hmm. Like I have 
really celebrate right now. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything to be proud of right now. But is that because there really isn't anything for me to be proud of? Or is it because of my Asian excellence mindset where I can't acknowledge anything that I'm proud of? Mm-hmm. Um, because when I used to come home with an A or an A plus, that still wasn't enough. Like there still had to be an extra credit. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so to say that I'm actually grateful for the present moment, it's it's so hard for me to be grateful. It's so hard for me to be like, you know what? Life is kind of shitty right now, but I'm still grateful. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so hard for me to have that sort of mindset. And it's still something that I have to practice and meditate on every day. Mm-hmm. But to just like say that out loud on the podcast is really weird. It's weird for me to hear. So... Well, part of it, I think, what it makes me think of, and I know for the longest time, I I had a um, similar challenge as far as being able to acknowledge the small victories along the way, and I think the reason why is because for the longest time, I used to think that success was this final destination that I have to hit, and so you just continue to, you, all I had to do was just remind myself, just keep going, keep going, keep going, but the problem is that. There is no such, at least for based on my understanding, there's no such thing as that final destination. Right. There's no such thing as that final version of who you are. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it became, well, how do I acknowledge myself as a successful human being every single day that I get a chance to wake up and, and really breaking it down and learning how to be grateful with the small things? I mean, the fact that I have an ability to pick up a toothbrush and brush my teeth. Mm-hmm. The fact that I have an ability to pick up a fork and eat lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Mm-hmm. So, and, for, and I didn't acknowledge those things because I took them for granted. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the thing you do when you wake up. You eat, you brush your teeth, you work out, you write, you do all those things. But then it just made me realize that the more I continue to open myself up and look and become observant of the world around me, that's when I noticed that not everyone has that. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has the ability to walk. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has the ability to do the things that I chose to take for granted. Brush your mm-hmm. teeth. There are people in this world that are dependent on someone else or a um, machine or whatever it may be to help them complete that task. So... The other thing that I learned is that just the perception of time. You know, I'm I'm probably in a similar boat as you are as far as I'm, I'm 26. But the vision that I have of myself is so much greater, or I guess that I had of myself was so much greater. And the reason why is because I, and I don't think I still do. I think it's a work in progress. The relationship that you have with time, it's very difficult to understand. I mean, who's to truly say that you can do X, Y, and Z in a year? Mm-hmm. Even to a degree, I can't tell you that. Mm-hmm. Like the things that I may envision that are going to take me a year may take me a week, a month, mm-hmm. may take me 10 years. So I think that whole concept of kind of waiting for that thing with every single age, and I, I know for me, it's, it's definitely a challenge. It's like 26 now, I'm about to be 27, I have to be this. But then the question is, well, Who's to say that you have to be there? Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen if you don't get there? Mm-hmm. Does life end? Hopefully not. So I, 
I, I like your point and, you know, we're all in different chapters of our lives, but it just made me think of a time, not necessarily a time that I was, but the time that I still am living through and just slowing down and saying, hey, yes, this may suck in the moment to go through X, Y, and Z, but you're still living, you're still breathing, you still have an opportunity to communicate with someone literally halfway across the country or across the world. And that's pretty incredible, the fact that we can even do that. Yeah. So, Jiggy, how do people find you? What are some of the ways that people can be in touch with your work? Um, what's the best What's the best way for them to get involved with the things that you started to do? Um, Instagram at Jiggy underscore Yoon. Mm-hmm. And I have my website, JiggyYoon.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can just Google Jiggy Yoon and click whatever pops up first. But yeah, I like to be accessible and available for everyone. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being such a great guest. Thank you for thank being you. real. Um, and thank you for sharing your story and your insights. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of the latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we'll look forward to having you next week. 